from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hi, this is Vanessa Williams from The Washington Post. Hey, it's Philip Rucker at The Washington Post. Do you have a minute? Hi, this is Dan Zak. This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, June 30th. Today, why Bill Cosby is being released from prison and how critical race theory became a conservative talking point. Today, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned the conviction of Bill Cosby, one of the biggest moments in the Me Too movement. Manuel Roy Franzia is a staff writer for The Post who covered the Cosby trial in 2018. Today, Cosby was released from prison. A state Supreme Court ruled that Cosby's Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination were violated at his trial. The reasoning that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court gave is that Bill Cosby believed that he had immunity from future prosecution because a previous district attorney had decided not to prosecute him. And after that decision, he gave an extraordinary days-long deposition in a civil case that was filed against him by his main accuser, Andrea Constant. And that deposition, which we have, that deposition is an extraordinary document because in it, Bill Cosby talks about how he would acquire quaaludes to give to women whom he wanted to have sex with. And that suggestion that he would use drugs uh, to be the prelude to sexual activity with women fit exactly with the accusations that all of these women had been making for decades against him. They had been saying that he gave them some kind of drug that knocked them out, that made them unable to move their arms, that made them unable to move their legs, that made them unable to say no or resist, and that he sexually assaulted them. And that was used to great profit by the prosecutors who eventually won the conviction against him. What the Supreme Court is saying is that Bill Cosby only agreed to say all that, only agreed to describe his pattern of behavior with drugs and women because he had been promised he would never be prosecuted for the accusations that had been leveled against him by this woman who really had looked up to him as a mentor, Andrea Constand. So how long has Cosby already spent in prison and how, how much longer was he supposed to be there? Well, he was supposed to be in prison for at least three years. He was convicted in 2018. So he'd been there a good long stretch, but that was the minimum. He could have been there for up to 11 years. And so it was very likely and very possible that Bill Cosby would have been in prison for many more years after this for one key reason. He hadn't been expressing remorse at all. He'd remained steadfast that he was wrongly convicted. And uh, his representatives were also talking about this in the press, that he had been uh, persecuted rather than prosecuted. So it was conceivable if the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania had not come down with this decision today, that Bill Cosby could have become a very much older man and maybe even died in prison. 
I think one of the reasons why there has been so much shock and reaction to Bill Cosby's upcoming release is that there have been so many accusations against him from literally dozens of women who say that he targeted them. So those accusations don't count at all in what this judge is now considering? We at The Washington Post, we tracked uh, the accusations that have been made over decades against Bill Cosby, and we've spoken to many of these women. At our last count, there were at least 60 women. There there may be more. Uh, I say there may be more because some of the alleged assaults took place many years ago, and people who might have been assaulted uh, and who others said were assaulted um, are no longer alive. What was a big misconception about the Bill Cosby trial was that it was a trial about these at least 60 women who have accused him of sexual assault over the decades. In fact, it wasn't about those 60 women. It was about a single woman, Andrea Constant, who had accused him of sexually assaulting her in 2004. But the other women mattered in the case In fact, they mattered a lot, and their presence was palpable throughout. Not just in the courtroom, because there were accusers who were there for every minute of the trial, but also from the witness stand. The prosecutor in the case was able to persuade the judge to allow five women to testify about their accusations against Bill Cosby. That was a very controversial decision by the judge. It was vigorously opposed by the defense. It's referenced in the Supreme Court's decision. But the Supreme Court says, well, it doesn't really matter that much because the decision by the former prosecutor not to prosecute cuts it all off. None of this ever would have happened if the current prosecutor hadn't made a decision that was different. So has there been a reaction from these women, from Andrea Constand or any of the others who testified that now Cosby is going to go free? Yeah, I uh, spoke with Janice Baker Kinney, who was one of the five women who testified as what are called prior bad act witnesses. She described herself as just shocked absolutely devastated that this decision would come down. And she called Bill Cosby a serial rapist. And she is a person who has had contact with so many of the other alleged victims of Bill Cosby that she was really speaking from a place deep, deep in her psyche and a very painful place in her psyche in talking about him as a serial abuser, not just a person who abused her, not just a person who abused Andrea Constant. You could, you can see that in the words that she chose to use when she was speaking to us. So then what happens now? Like, is that it? Bill Cosby is free and that's the end of the story? I don't think we know the answer to the question of what happens next. The women who have made accusations against Bill Cosby have been very persistent in their efforts to bring him to justice, as they would put it. And I can't imagine that they would go quietly into the night. However, at this point, it appears that Bill Cosby will be released from prison. Uh, A prosecutor who had been rejoicing 
after a guilty verdict, uh, will have to figure out what he does next. Uh, and the court of public opinion will get another chance to weigh in on Bill Cosby, this man who had a legacy as America's dad, as this cute, lovable guy in sweaters, that legacy had really been upended when the initial accusations were made against him. It was further tossed to the ground when he was convicted. But... You know, the public has a short attention span, and it's been a while since he was convicted. And one of the women who had accused him of sexually assaulting and harassing her uh, told me today that in some ways, if she wanted to look for a silver lining in this decision that had so devastated her today, it would be that people would be talking about Bill Cosby and their accusations against him again. And maybe at the end of the day, that's the final victory for all of these women. They wanted the world to know what they say happened at the hands of this celebrity, this legend, this beloved figure. And now the world knows. And the world has been reminded again about what they have to say. Manuel Royk Franzia is a feature reporter for The Post. The story was produced by Emma Talkoff. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial monarchmoney.com slash podcast. We've seen over the past few months a number of states passing what they're calling critical race theory bans. These bans prevent teachers from teaching about systemic racism and other kinds of discrimination like gender. Valerie Strauss is an education reporter for The Post. As of yesterday, 26 states have taken steps to do this and nine states have actually enacted these bans. Several states like Rhode Island and Missouri are considering bills that would stop schools from teaching more about concepts like sexism and racism. The one that probably got the most attention was the one in Florida because they had very, very long hearings, very contentious hearings about the issue before the Florida Board of Education passed it at the behest of the governor, Ron DeSantis. Uh, By basically using critical race theory to bring ideology and political activism uh, as into the forefront of education. 
That is not what we need to be doing in Florida. They're all being pushed by Republican-led legislatures. And what exactly is critical race theory and how has it become so controversial? Critical race theory is an academic framework that discusses and researches systemic racism in America. It provides academic tools for looking into how systemic racism manifests and how best to overcome it. It has become this huge new flashpoint in the culture wars in America. It started recently when a Seattle activist named Christopher Rufo was speaking on Fox News about something he called critical race theory that was going to ruin America. Conservatives need to wake up that this is an existential threat to the United States and the bureaucracy, even under the Trump administration, is now being weaponized against core traditional American values. Talking about what he perceives as this movement to make white people feel guilty for the plight of blacks in America and to make them basically hate America. Uh, The president of the White House, it's within their authority and power to immediately issue an executive order abolishing critical race theory trainings from the federal government. And I call on the president. President Trump heard him speaking. This was toward the end of Trump's tenure as president. And he started wondering about it and immediately glommed onto it as a great way to divide people. Critical race theory the 1619 Project and the crusade against American history is toxic propaganda, ideological poison that if... And he started telling his people that they had to ban diversity trainings in federally funded projects and in agencies, and then it started to spiral. And right now it's really playing out most clearly in schools. And I think it's been very surprising to see how much this has become a flashpoint among conservatives and how, frankly, like violently people have reacted to this idea of talking about race and racism in our education system. But what is the argument that is being used by people who are advocating for more discussion around race and racism in schools and why it's a good idea? Teachers who talk about racism in America aren't really teaching critical race theory. It's more of a broad kind of way of thinking. The one foundational piece of it is that racism is systemic. For teachers who want to be honest about America, then you have to teach about racism and the ways that it manifests. And the ways that it manifests systemically is through laws and rules and regulations. And any teacher who wants to be honest about it is going to teach those things. Now, that doesn't mean they're teaching critical race theory. It means that they're teaching the truth about America, which is a long overdue discussion, as we know. 
Because it seems like in some ways the idea of excluding discussion around racism in a school setting presents not only like moral and ethical problems, but also very fundamental logistical problems. Like, how are you going to talk about the Civil War? Or how are you going to talk about Japanese internment? Or how are you going to talk about many of the laws that have been passed and repealed in American history and like basically how our legal system came about? I don't know how you have a robust historical discussion without talking about racism. Well, that's right. And and the truth is that many classrooms over many years have not had those discussions. Part of it is that their state content standards don't allow them to, or they don't have time to, or they're afraid to. There's all kinds of reasons that they don't. It's not something that until recently has been a matter of concern more nationally. Uh, We all know that George Floyd's murder by police really did spark a social justice movement. This is part of it. Before you said something about that there's something of a surprise that this has grabbed onto people. But if you look in the long term, in a way it isn't. Donald Trump was a reaction to the election of the first black president in America, And remember, he got 74, 76 million votes in the last election, suggesting that that many people weren't bothered enough by those positions that he took not to vote for him. So you're talking about a country that's very divided. And when we talk about divided, it's almost always, it's always divided by race. So when it comes to these new laws that are being proposed or being passed, what do they actually do and how much can they actually curtail frank discussion around race in classrooms? Well, it depends on where and who. Most of the laws that have been passed and that are being discussed all are very similar because it's a coordinated effort, actually. There are organizations and Rufo himself have helped advise legislatures on on what to do. And primarily, what they're aimed at doing is not allowing teachers to talk about systemic racism. What they want teachers to impart or they want people to believe is that racism isn't really systemic in America. It's that it's a bunch of just bad actors, people who just don't like Black people and individually are responsible for bad things. And so it overlooks all of the laws. It overlooks the entire legal framework that exists that hurt the outcomes of Black people in America and have since the beginning. So if an elementary school teacher in Palm Beach County wants to teach about systemic racism when she's talking about the civil rights movement, does that mean that someone's going to step in and say, I need to see your lesson plans. Or if a parent complains about you teaching systemic racism, then you could get fired. Well, yes. In some places that could happen. And that's why teachers say that this will have a chilling effect on them for fear of that. It doesn't mean it will always happen. It means it depends on the neighborhood. It depends on the parents. It depends on the principal. But certainly teachers are worried that now they're, they're going to feel that they have to pull back and watch their words and watch their lessons. Some places will insist teachers put their lesson plans online for parents to see it. It, it could get really ugly. And are there efforts happening to protect teachers' ability to talk openly and honestly about racism? What are people doing to oppose these new bills? Well, first and foremost, you have teachers 
who uh, thousands of them who recently protested in a day of action across the country. The teachers protested recent legislation, including an effort to ban the 1619 Project. By not teaching the truth, we live a lie, and it's not okay to live a lie. Saying that they will refuse to lie. They will refuse not to tell the truth. And whatever that winds up costing them in terms of, of their jobs, that's what they're going to do. My guess is that there will be millions of teachers who will be like that. One thing we have to remember is, though, that it's only recently that there's been such an interest in talking about these things in school. So when I went to school, we didn't learn it. You probably didn't learn as much as you should have. But by and large, American schools have not taught the truth in total, given the real picture of how Black people have been treated in this country and still are. And so first you had this conservative backlash to the social protest movement that came about from George Floyd's death. And now you have these teachers creating a backlash to the backlash. They're saying, no, you can push all you want. We're not going to go. There will be parents who will support them. I assume these laws will be challenged in court. You will have different superintendents looking on things differently. So it will get very complicated. And is the federal government trying to take a role in this too? Like the Biden administration or the Department of Education? I mean, they probably have an interest in making sure that kids are honestly educated about racial issues too. Yes, the Biden administration has been clear that that they want all aspects of American history to be taught. One of the reasons, again, that I think this has caught so much interest among Republicans is that recently the Biden administration's education department issued some guidance on some grant money that they were giving. And some of the things that they suggested could be taught, one of, one of the things was the 1619 Project of the New York Times. And that project has been just attacked ever since it was published by conservatives who insist that it, too, is trying to teach Americans to hate their country. Mm -hmm. And just for people who are not familiar with it, the 1619 Project basically goes back to the date of the arrival of Black people in this country and making the argument that slavery was inherent in every part of the construction of America going back to the Revolutionary War and before. Right. And it has just become a target for everybody. I mean, even if Trump himself created a commission to refute that project, the New York Times created a curriculum around it. And that's part of the reason that some of these laws have started. That curriculum and the idea that they were infusing it really got some of these right-wing activists going. Valerie, it really strikes me that you say that in this moment you're reflecting on your own education and to what extent you learned about race and racism in school. I feel like my experience was, so I, I ended up becoming an African-American studies major in college. I remember being in my like AFAM 101 class and thinking I was going to basically at least be familiar with everything in this course and realizing like the huge gaping parts of history that I had never heard of before in my entire childhood that were never taught to me. And I wonder how you think this push could change the U.S. education system and how kids are thinking about race going forward. I think that it could have an enormous impact over time if we can keep the democracy going. I do think that 
this effort to fight telling the truth about America's history is part of a broader effort that could really undermine all of our institutions, including what I consider to be the most important civic institution we have in the country, which is the public education system. But there's nobody that I talk to of my age, 10 years younger, 20 years younger, you know, nobody says they knew it all. Just look at the Tulsa massacre. Most people will say, my God, I didn't know about that. That's a seminal event. And we weren't taught that. So the hope is that this does spark a rethinking of the way we teach. When we start to teach it, I was in a discussion this morning where somebody said they thought that elementary school was too early. And my thinking is that it's, you know, it's never too early. Black children understand the issue from the day they're born. White children should understand the same thing about America. There's no, it's not too early. It just depends on how you developmentally do it. But I think that you need to rethink about how you start teaching this from the very early ages. Valerie Strauss is an education reporter for The Post. Sabi Robinson produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Ted Muldoon. You can learn more about the stories in today's show at postreports.com. And join the conversation online using the hashtag postreports. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. 